Welcome to the Make One Day Happen podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Jean. This podcast is designed to inspire, educate, and empower people to elevate their consciousness and activate their full potential. We share stories, ideas, and resources that support our listeners in their personal and professional growth by hosting meaningful conversations that spark aha moments. Laughing, learning, leveling up, all guaranteed. We'll be hearing from innovative thought leaders, CEOs, professional athletes, best-selling authors, musicians, and more as they share lessons they've learned along the way and ideas that can change the world. A great podcast doesn't happen without a great team, and we're proud to partner with Lost Range CBD and The Plug Agency to bring this show to life. So pull up a seat and let's get to it. Let me jump in here real quick to let y'all know I have a lot to tell you about very soon. I am bursting at the seams and also still pulling together the final pieces for a retreat, a book, a brand new way to be in community and work together. November will be a month to remember friends, so stay tuned. In the meantime, I've got a little present for you. As a thank you for listening and being on this journey with me to celebrate this latest kick-ass episode, I'd love to gift you a free 10-minute sound journey, a little something-something I'm calling a take 10. In this 10-minute experience that blends breathwork and guided visualization with the vibes of the crystal singing bowls, you're going to regulate your nervous system, you'll practice dropping into lower brainwave states for deeper connection to your intuition and subconscious, and you'll experience productive rest and recovery at a cellular level in your mind, your body, and your spirit. My favorite way to use this is in the middle of my workday to break things up and just give myself a little bit of a recharge. So grab a pair of headphones and take 10 to plug back in and find your elevated self. Click on the link in the show notes and go ahead and get you some. Now let's get back to this kick-ass episode. All right. Welcome to the Make One Day Happen podcast. I'm Sheena, your host, and I am just super thrilled to introduce our guest today. This woman has been just very, very impactful in my life. And I don't know, honestly, like she's, yeah, I'm not sure who I'd be without her today. So she's easily one of my favorite coaches I've ever had. And definitely one of the most badass coaches I've had the privilege of working with. Um, Ellen Miller is with us today and she is a force. She is the first American woman to summit Mount Everest from both sides. Like what? Let's just let's, let's pause there. And we found each other in Vail back in 2013. Our paths crossed quite literally on, on a mountain. And I was wild enough to run up mountains with her at 7 a.m. in the morning <laughs> and learn how to develop a lot of strength and resiliency and cold fingers at the time. So um, welcome, Ellen. I am really, really excited for you to be here um, and for us to just talk about some of the things that we've always talked about over the years and for the listeners to really just get tapped into you. So welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here and to share what I've learned during my long life here on on (laughs) Earth. And um, hopefully, you know, some people can relate to my story and hear some things that will resonate with them. Absolutely. I've never met someone who hasn't. So I think, I think we're in a good place. So, so let's talk about, I think the low hanging fruits, but also like a crown jewel Um, to, to summit Everest once is an insane accomplishment to do it twice and to be the first North American woman to do it twice. Like that is just, let's start there. Well, can you tell us about that? Like I can. Um, you know, the Himalaya has been a huge part of my life for many, many years. 
And actually, mountain climbing was a huge part of my life for many, many years. And I started out climbing mountains here in Colorado. And really slowly, over a 30-year climbing career, slowly venturing out into other parts of the world. And it took me a very long time before I even would consider climbing in the Himalaya, and particularly until I would consider climbing up to 8,000 meters, you know, up above 25, 26,000 feet. But I would plug along, you know, every year. I would save up my money for one expedition per year, and I would go to some exotic place in the world and climb a mountain. And I had worked my way up, you know, to from Denali and Aconcagua and mountains that are about 20,000 feet in elevation, um, up to 23, 25. I was in Western China climbing a 25,000 foot peak. And that's when it dawned on me. It's like, you know, I wonder if I could climb Everest one day. So I saved up my money. And I think two years later, I went to climb a different 8,000 meter peak in Tibet. It's called Chooyu. And I thought, well, this will be a good test for me because I'll be using supplemental oxygen. I'll be dealing with extreme cold, you know, meaning that we have to dress completely differently in down suits and different boots and different gear. I thought this will be a good test for me to see if I really have what it takes to climb Mount Everest. And it took me two years because of weather, weather challenges. I had to uh, take two years to go to climb Choyu. We got uh, snowed off and avalanched off the fir- my first attempt. But the second year I went back there, we did summit, and it was such a glorious and big experience for me that I kind of knew coming down off of Choyu, it's like my new goal is to climb Mount Everest. Um, so the following year, I went back very quickly, six months later, in the spring, and I was very fortunate to climb the Tibetan side of Mount Everest first, and very fortunate to be with a very strong team, and I had the opportunity to summit. And then life unfolds in very interesting ways. I never planned to be the first American woman to climb both sides of Everest. That was not a goal. It was not a plan. I hadn't really pieced that together. I simply had the opportunity to go to the south side in Nepal and climb the following year, which was 2002. I was working as a trekking guide, leading trekkers up to Everest Base Camp. And my boss, who was running an Everest expedition, uh, Guy Cotter from New Zealand, said, hey, do you want me to you know, put your name on the climbing permit um, for Everest from this side? And I was like, Sure. My boyfriend at the time was guiding on Everest, and I thought, why not? Never, ever really thinking I would have a shot at it, uh, because the weather in the Himalaya, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot to an expedition simply besides, you know, just climbing ability. But lo and behold, she you know, the way it unfolded, I had the opportunity to climb the second side again. And the way it unfolded, we were blessed with magnificent weather. And I was up at the high camp, and I remember looking out of my tent, you know, at midnight, like, there's no wind, and the sky is full of stars. I would be a fool not to try and climb this mountain again. So, wow. you know, I got lucky again and summited the second time. But I guess that my my message in that is sometimes life 
life is going to unfold and life is going to direct you in ways that you cannot possibly plan, you know, and I feel blessed and I feel fortunate that, you know, I got to make my little piece of history that way, but I want to let people know that sometimes life just gives you these opportunities and, you know, when you're young enough, you know, go for it, reach up, go for it. You know, it's, Sometimes when you have really nice calculated risk opportunities, go for it because the rewards can be very, very great and the rewards can be very rich. So I feel lucky. (laughs) Amazing. And I guess I've got some questions around, you know, being the first American woman to, to accomplish this. Like that's just so freaking cool it's so cool and i i'm curious to understanding like how that piece of it came to be in the sense of had had other women tried it before and for like weather or you know this that the reason or the other happened or or is it that there weren't that many women climbers at that time or like what kind of what were the conditions that led led to this opportunity I think you you nailed it. There there simply weren't that many of of us females climbing back then. Typically, when I would go on big expeditions, I would be the only female. Um, There was an American woman who had made an attempt on the north side of Mount Everest several years before I did, and she died. Uh, She perished on the mountain. But, yeah, I just think not many women, you know, back in the late 90s, you know, there still weren't that many women climbing there many more now of course but yeah yeah and it's like it's isn't it cool to think it's kind of like the four minute mile right like oh that hasn't been done it can it be done yet once someone opens that floodgate and really shows people that 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 it's possible then others see that it's possible for themselves too and and absolutely absolutely and and i'll admit here i don't want to sound too humble about this i will admit that when i was going up for my second summit there was part of me that was saying, okay, this one's for the naysayers. This is for the people that said I couldn't do this. This is for the people that said I would never succeed. This is for the people that have bullied me around. It's like, I'm going to climb this mountain again. <laughs> I'm going to get this out of my system. So there was part of my ego that was really driving that because I think with all of us, whether it's climbing mountains or starting a new career, you know, you have these people that are just kind of questioning us and doubting us. And, you know, you're sure you want to do this? And it's like, yeah, I'm sure I want to do this. Um, <laughs> Hold my beer. Watch this. I'm definitely sure I want to do this. Yeah. So um, there was a part of me that was after I summited, it's like, okay, that's all I have to do is so they can... Now they know I'm a climber. I can do this. I've proven myself twice here, you know, um, because, of course, before that, you know, I think a lot of women, you know, men love to doubt women's strength in in the man's world. And mm. that was happening back then. So, like, oh, she just got lucky. You know, she climbed over. It's like, no, I'll do it again. And I'll, I'll prove to people I have the tenacity. I have the skill. I have the fitness. You know, I have the, you know desires yeah you had the full package and this the the package needed to complete the mission i think it's you're so right like the ego can get such a bad rap poor ego i mean (laughs) it's really just trying to protect us 
and it gets in the way of that quite a bit, but it's also such a valuable tool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it, when it comes down to like having to dig deep and, and maybe, and maybe someone doesn't have that, like in that moment, that full faith in, in themselves or the, and it, it takes that, like, I'm, I'm going to show somebody else. I'm going to prove that like, this can be done. I can do this, that. And I certainly, certainly can relate to that. And, and in this, this phase of my life, starting a new thing that people don't quite understand. And they're like, you're going to do what? Yeah. <laughs> Eat yeah. email funnels and a podcast and what? And it's like, just watch, just yeah, watch. You just this is going to be great. <laughs> one step at a time, Sheena, right up the mountain. Okay. So let's talk about one step at a time. That is, I mean, 1000% one of the biggest lessons that I learned from you. And it's, it's, a, it's obviously a very simple lesson and like, Oh yeah, of course everybody knows one step at a time, but get on a mountain <laughs> and start going uphill or running uphill until your coach stops to blow a whistle or start climbing your first 14 er mm-hmm. under, you know, moonlight and, and, and recognize that like, okay, I really just need to focus on one step at a time here. Like literally all I can do is like have that single track focus in my mind of one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think it's, it's um, neuroscience is something that honestly you really turned me on to in a lot of these coaching sessions and, and helping me understand how neural pathways work and why it's important to, to force them into different tracks and find a different groove. And, and also like it, in this case, it's like, keep it in this, tight little groove right here. Like keep your focus right here. Can you talk to a little bit about that and, and, and this idea of one foot in front of the other, how obviously it translates on a mountain, but like where you find it coming into life as well? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite sayings is focus, focus, focus. You know, it's applicable to me on the mountain and it's also applies to me in my life. You know, sometimes when I just feel like I'm off track, I really have to remind myself to focus. These days, you know, I feel sorry for your generation. I feel sorry for younger people because there's so much information coming at us so quickly that it's really easy for the brain to get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And I think for my generation, we didn't, we had the internet, but it wasn't a thing. We weren't taking cell phones everywhere. We weren't plugged into social media. So it was easier for us to focus. Mm. And I do want to encourage, because I know your audience is our younger people. You know, if there's a way you can step back from technology and, and really start to get in, into your head in a good way, to be aware enough of what's going on in there for you. Because once you're aware of how your thoughts are moving in your brain and how your attitudes are shaping, you can then make the corrections or the improvements to that attitude or thought pattern very simply, simply by being aware. I don't think that people understand that they are in the driver's seat. They're in control of their neural pathways. And it's almost like what we focus on is going to expand. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we keep focusing on the darkness and letting our brains go back to the darkness, the brain will make the neural pathways and we'll kind of have this automatic response of going into the darkness before we can talk, talk ourselves into moving back into the light. 
And so I think I coach a lot of athletes and I talk to myself about you've got to maintain those positive neuropathways, the ones that keep bringing me back into the light, the ones that keep bringing me back to gratitude. It's not always easy because sometimes my brain gets overwhelmed and, you know, I get anxious. But the brain, you know, if you've got the positive response built, and you'll see it, people either, when you interact with people, many people will either seem like they're naturally positive or naturally negative. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that's their neural pathways and what they've chosen to develop, or maybe they aren't aware enough. You know, if they're a negative person, they're not aware that their natural response is negative. But I think that it's important just to let people know that they have the opportunity to shape what's going on in their brain. And if they can do that, it's going to shape their attitudes and shape their outlooks and shape their natural responses. You know, I'm in my 60s now, and I'm con- I'm telling people my age is like, we better get the brain train going in the positive direction because when we're 80 and 90, we need to be kind of cheerful, positive, optimistic people. We've all met those old, cranky, bitter, <laughs> negative. Mm-hmm. But now's the time. Now's the time in our 60s to make sure we're developing uh, very positive, natural responses to situations. And, and that's something I've, I feel like I've worked very hard on. Some days I have to come home from work and say, Ellen, sit your ass down. And you're going to write a list of 50 things. I mean, forget this five things I'm grateful for today. No, you're going to write 50. You're going to write 100 things that you are really blessed with, that you're so grateful for, you know. And and that has helped me to just kind of cultivate a more positive outlook or overview for my life, I think. Absolutely. Uh, I love that you brought up my favorite word of yours. That is one of the reasons why I talk about you as often as I do is the brain train. I check in on people's brain trains all the time, mm-hmm. especially with, you know, the year that we've, that we've all been through and everything that's going on in the world right now. It's like checking in and how's your brain train doing? Like where, where are you at? And just, yeah, like a big part of the coaching and uh, what I've been talking about with clients lately is, is metacognition, the ability to think about your own thoughts. It is. Yes. In my mind, after all of the learning and companies I've worked for, programs I've done, coaches I've worked with, everything, I for me, it's really all coming back to metacognition. You have to, have to, have to, have to, have to develop the skill set to start to become aware of what's happening in your own brain and recognize when you're looping on something that actually might not be serving you. And and when you start to understand, you know, neuroscience has literally exploded in the last 20 years that it's the last 20, 25 years that we've learned that, oh, our, our brains aren't static. You mean after 18, we can change our brains because that's, that's the premise that we were all growing up under. Um, it's, it's like, a, it's like a whole new world out there. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it's, it's really, um, one of the most powerful tools that you can give yourself is, is that gift of understanding what's going on in your head, catching yourself, redirecting your thought patterns, having an anti thought in the back pocket. So when that sneaky thought that got programmed in childhood comes ripping in for a, a tear, you're ready to fight it off. So. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, you've said a couple of different things. I love, <laughs> I'm guilty. I do three things at night that I'm grateful for every night as I'm falling asleep. That's my gratitude practice. And I still have the notebook um, from the assignment that you gave us to write a hundred things. Mm-hmm. And I railed against that exercise. I do gratitude all the time. I'm fine. I can, I don't need to do this. And then when I sat down and really actually did that exercise, I, I, I remember putting it off for a while. I don't know, subconscious resistance, not wanting to, I don't know what it was. And when I sat down and actually did it, it was one of the most eye-opening experiences just to really like a shift perspective, but just really like a, a self-love practice. Like, wow, man, look at, look at like all these things that, you know, either I remember you had us do it like about ourselves, about our personality, about our physical appearance, about like you really had us dig into a lot of different things. And um, it was such a powerful, powerful practice. So if, if to the listeners out there, if you, if you take one thing away to do, go write yourself a list of 100 things. Yes, 100 things that you're grateful for about yourself. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that you really taught me a lot about um, was grit. Yeah. <laughs> good old grit. Good old grit. Good old tenacity. Good old... I think it's a valuable attribute. It's almost another skill that people can develop. Um, And I do want to clarify that grit, somebody can have a lot of grit without being rude, without being a bully. You know, having grit is about having that tenacity and that drive, but you don't have to tell the world about it. Um, I think these days... A lot of people, you know, especially this year, people are defensive. You know, they want to be tough. Mm -hmm. And it's like, to me, that's not quite what grit is. I think grit can be carried inside of a person in a very elegant and subtle way. And that person can have a deep reservoir of grit. And the rest of the world may not even know. But it's really coming down to that conversation that we have with ourselves in our brains and in our hearts of, you know, what am I made out of? How, how deep am I willing to dig for this goal? Um, how, how hard am I willing to work to make my dream come true? And I think that part of this goes back to when I was talking about calculated risk. When you realize that the reward can be very rich and can be very great, you know, when you can kind of look at the end product It may be a long way away. The summit of the mountain may be five days away. But I think when you can just in your brain imagine, how am I going to feel if I can climb this mountain or start this business or whatever? That can help to cultivate grit and to encourage your grit to stick with all the tiny little baby steps and all the little setbacks and all of the you know, the obstacles that we run into whenever we're trying to achieve anything. Mm -hmm. And I have found that if I can cultivate grit in my daily life, like an exercise class, which is where we would talk about, it's kind of like the positive attitude thing. It'll carry over to the rest of my life. And, you know, I learned, you know, mountain climbing is so metaphorical because it's all about just taking one step at a time. 
And I have learned that unbelievable things can happen sometimes if you slow down long enough to just take one step and check in and take another baby step and check in. And it's remarkable how one slow step at a time can lead to a, to a huge result. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's going to require that self-awareness, you know, of whomever is in, you know, whatever situation to check in and say, how am I feeling about this right now? Do I want to quit? Do I want to put this project aside? Do I want to hurry up and get this thing? You know, how are you feeling about your goal at any given time? And how's that conversation going with yourself? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it takes a lot of compassion and a lot of patience to just say, you know, I need to just slow down here and maybe I need to sit down and eat something and drink something and get back (laughs) up and try and take some more stain you wouldn't believe how many times on mountains, like, I just, I needed a snack. <laughs> At the time, I thought the world was, I'm like, I don't think I can do this. I'm in tears, you know, it's like, I can't climb this mountain. It's like, no, I have some chocolate. And 10 minutes later, it's like, okay, I'm okay, you know. Um, so, I don't know, Sheena. I think it's just one of those kind of understated characteristics that people I encourage people to work on their grit. And again, people can start small, you know, and and challenge themselves with things that they kind of are unsure if they can do, but they kind of know they can do them. Um, that's the way we, obviously, I worked with you in my classes. And just support people and enable people to feel some victory, to feel some success. Because then they can start taking that from there. They, they can understand that, wow, it pays off to push through a little bit. You know, it pays off to face some discomfort sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's worth it to be uncomfortable for a little while because I feel so great now. So, Right. And like, that's what I hear, you know, in what you're saying right now. Like, uh, a, I love the concept of grit as a reservoir, right? It's something that you have to actively put put into so that when you need it, you can, you can pull from it and ways to put into it are those small, consistent steps. And, and I would also say like getting uncomfortable, you know, like going to that red line, even when like, you don't really want to go to the red line. I can just want to stop right here, but I got to keep going just a little bit further because just even that little bit of, of space in that, uncomfortableness is what is creating a supply of grit for you to lean into later on. It's like, it's like that's, it's almost like that safe uncomfortable zone that you practice in so that when you are in the like real shit of it, you're like, okay, I got some grit supply I can, I can pull into. Yeah. You know, knowing that we can do hard things, that's, it boils down to just each, each of us being able to say, I can do hard things. I know I can, I know I can get through this. And, and again, it's not just going to be businesses we start or mountains we climb. It's going to be navigating life. You know, again, as a 60-year-old, life throws some shit at us. Trauma and loss and pain. And so if we're in our younger years, we're cultivating grit. You know, I've, I've thought oftentimes like, now I know why the universe 
got me to climb mountains <laughs> because learning what I learned on those mountains has really helped me navigate this year or has really helped me in my job as a caregiver for an elderly person. It's like, wow, the toughness that I learned, the patience that I learned on a mountain is really supporting me now. And, you know, 20 years ago, I would never have imagined I would say that, mm -hmm. you know, but life, you know, it's having grit and having that really full-hearted belief in ourselves. It will carry us, it will carry, you know, people farther than they ever know if they can, if they can work on cultivating that. You know, oh, there's so, so many good things in there. Um, because it, you know, life does prepare us for the places it's going to take us if we're willing to pay attention. And I wasn't, I was not actually planning on talking about this, but I'm going to go there. I might cry. Who knows? We'll yeah, find out. You're in um, <laughs> I, you know, I can't ever say that I, w I would have predicted that I would, I would have been so closely involved with a mountain incident in my lifetime. And for those who are not aware of the story, the quick synopsis is that um, my partner went missing on a mountain for three days, climbing a 14er and his climbing partner he was with ended up dying. They found my partner, brought him back. And it was needless to say a three days I would never wish on anyone. And you were obviously the very first person that I called when everything started, when it really became, when the situation really started to unfold. And for me, that was, that was a moment of like, this is why Ellen's in my life. This is, this is a big part of why Ellen's in my life, because the work that I've been doing with her is, is preparing me for this moment. It's preparing me to be able to dig into my, my grit reserves and to be able to stay calm but also stay focused and to stay focused on, on what I want to keep putting one foot in front of the other, figuring it out, showing up and really, really just your support and guidance in that situation was like, I, you know, I try and think of like how I would have showed up in that without some of your teachings and your support and, and you as a friend and a mentor. And I just, I don't want to think about what, how different it would have looked, honestly. And I, I really do think that our paths crossed at a really unique time to be able to, to support me in showing up in that situation the way I was able to. Thank you, Sheena. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Ellen. Are you kidding me? Um, okay. So there's two other things that I want to talk about with you. Um, and just ideas because I think both of them are really relevant to the, the time that we're in. It is November 4th that we are recording this podcast. So um, we had election day yesterday. We still don't know who our president is. That on top of the pandemic and just kind of social justice, like there's just so many things happening in the world and particularly in America right now. And I've got, there's two things that I've learned, experiences, I guess I would say that I've had with you that I want. Um, to bring up and talk about and share with people because I think that they're so valuable. You know, you, you touched earlier on kind of the darkness and the light of your mind and how to create an awareness so that when you are kind of going into a dark place, you can start to pull yourself out of the light. And one of the most refreshing things that I think I've ever gotten from you was, um, I think I don't know if it was in class or if it was a workshop, 
Uh, it might have been like a winter solstice workshop that you did, but you gave us a candle and really spoke to the fact that there are always going to be dark days. They're always going to be dark days and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's like actually part of it. And like part of, part of life and understanding yourself and learning to love and accept yourself for all of the parts are, are being okay with those dark days and uh, knowing what to do to support yourself in that. Do you remember, do you remember the yeah. workshop that I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have my candle on my nightstand. Oh, good. Next, next to my, oh shoot. I'm forgetting what it's called. Yeah, my Sandy, my Sandy yeah. that's, that's also on my bed, keeping, oh, keeping watch over me. So, <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about, about that concept. Cause I think it's, it's very easy in the world of personal development and vision and goal setting to like be positive, stay focused on what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And those are 1000% things that are valid, true, helpful. And the reality of it is like, it's a dark time in the world right now. It's, it's literally like we just had daylight savings. Like people are adjusting to like the fact that it's six o'clock and it's pitch black outside. So maybe let's talk a little bit about that, that darkness and that underbelly side of it all. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's, again, it comes back to self-awareness. I don't know of one person who's had just a peachy, sunny, everything goes right life. Life will Life throws some big curveballs at us. And again, I encourage those of us that are aware of how our brains work and how our bodies are feeling. And we need to be checking in a lot. Mental, mental health is a big deal. And, and we're starting to talk about it more. I'm kind of proud of our culture because we're talking about it more. Mm-hmm. But I think as all of us age and evolve, you know, checking in with ourselves and saying, how am I doing today? Sometimes all I need is a little trail therapy, you know, time on the trail or time in nature. I can take 15 minutes under some big trees with my feet on the earth and it can kind of really help me some days. It's a very simple thing. And, mm. and I think for those of us that, you know, we want to have beautiful lives and we want to contribute to our culture. We want to be able to give back. We also want to have great adventures and wonderful relationships. It's, it's almost imperative these days to be checking in because we want to know how to take care of ourselves during the dark times. And I know for me, I have a little self-care toolbox, which is, you know, it is, it includes meditation. It includes yoga. It includes uh, a few people, a very few people. I know I can call them on the phone and say, you know what? I'm not doing okay today. I, I would really appreciate it if you could talk to me for 10 minutes. Um, I know that 10 minutes petting my dog can seriously change my the chemistry. Of, you know, it just calms me down immediately. And I think, again, those of us that have that self-awareness to really be constantly checking in, how does my heart feel? How's my head doing? And taking care of ourselves. Um, because I'm the first to say life is, it will give us trauma and it will give us pain. And it's up to us to be prepared to know how to navigate our ways out of that. Mm-hmm. And sadly, I feel like a lot of people don't cultivate those skills or those tools. And 
you know, anxiety sets in, depression sets in, and they feel very, very helpless and very lost. So, you know, I encourage the athletes I work with, you know, checking in. Self, self-care is number one. And by taking care of ourselves, obviously, we, we're much more effective helping to take care of others. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. Again, I go back to this aging thing. <laughs> I hate to keep telling everybody how old I am, but it's like, damn, you know, you people think they're going to retire and they're going to have this smooth, the golden years, they used to call it. And it's like, no, life keeps, if you are living and you're trying to craft an interesting life, life is going to keep throwing challenges at you. That's just the nature of it. Now, I suppose I could go live in the suburbs, you know, in a beige house and, you know, really lead a very sheltered life. But I don't think that, you know, the kind of people that are listening to us today are, that's not what they're interested in. They want to be out there. They want to be taking calculated risks. They want to be experiencing rewards and building strong relationships and succeeding. But I will say there's, there's all the glory and there's, a lot of failure, you know, people don't realize I have failed so much more on mountains than I have succeeded. No one wants to ask me about that. <laughs> Let's talk about no it. No one wants to say, I mean, let me tell you, I have failed miserably on certain mountains and it took me three or four times to get to the summits of other mountains. You get your tent shredded up there in the wind or, you know, you think your feet are going to freeze off or whatever, you know, people... I think a lot of successful people make it look easy when in the background, I think they've gone through a lot of challenges to get to where they are. So I've learned much more from failure than I ever have from success. I've learned much more from the mountains I did not reach the summit of than the ones I got to the top of. You know, that's just the truth. Is there is there one in particular that really stands out for you as like the, the the granddaddy of all failures that maybe taught like is, or is there just lots of little ones? I think it's a combination. I think you know I've experienced trauma in the mountains where I've watched someone fall to their death. So that was probably you know a moment that it's um it was traumatic. You know for months okay. after that I would see the film in my brain of him blowing off of it. You know, it was kind of a PTSD type situation. So it wouldn't really necessarily that maybe that was not a, a failure. That was a just seeing something that was traumatic to me, but things like that, you know, where you realize you get up into the big mountains and you realize how totally insignificant you are. You know? Yeah. That's what was helpful for me. It's like, wow, I'm up here and the wind doesn't care, and the snow doesn't care, and the blizzard doesn't, you know, I'm so insignificant here, and life can change on a dime, you know, so life is, life's too short, life is very, I don't say that lightly, life is too short, and I hope that particularly after a year like we're having now, people can really realize that, and understand the preciousness of life. I, I realize we all have a political agenda to push and we all have our issues, but in the end of the day, you know, life is this beautiful experience and, you know, take the time to savor the victories and learn from the failures and be good to people. 
right? Can we all just like be really nice to one another? I don't understand what's so fucking hard about that. Like, I don't either. Unchecked emotions. People that do not have enough Mm. self awareness to really check their impulse control and to check their Mm. their anger, to check their you know opinions. You know, there's a kind of a big thing with younger people that like be myself and say what I think. And, and you know, I'm kind of like, sometimes it's better just to keep it to yourself. Trust me. <laughs> it's like, I realize that everybody wants to speak their truth and be themselves, but sometimes I've learned it. I've learned it the hard way. Sometimes it's better just to keep your thoughts to yourself and, you know. Or, or start with listening. Yes. You know, like that, that could be a really, if you feel like you can't shut up, maybe just try listening first before, <laughs> before you just put it all out there. Yeah. I could not imagine going through, you know, having, having a, a climbing partner, you know, pass on the mountain with you. And, and I think what's like, can we talk about like, what it took and like how deep into your, your grit reserves you had to, to go to be ready to get back out there again and face it and, and face climbing another mountain. Cause I think like that's something that people, you know, in pursuit of a goal or, a, you know, a, a life that they're trying to live can so easily give up these days and let something that understandably so is, is a traumatic experience or is, you know, a, a valid reason for not wanting to continue down a path. And there's also like this opportunity of choice, right? Like there, there is the choice to get back out there and, and keep going for it. So can you talk a little bit about how that experience, how to, how to integrate that experience into like shifting perspectives and, and continuing on? Yeah, that was an interesting situation. This friend was on a rope with another one of my friends and I was on a rope with my partner. And what happened in that moment, we saw Chris fall, is my partner and I looked at each other and we thought, we've got to help. We've got to help this other team. And we kicked it into high gear. You know, it was kind of like shit just hit the fan. People are going to be hurting here, but we've got to get everybody to a safe place set up a tent, get some stoves going. We've got to figure out how we're going to deal with this because obviously my partner and the other guy were going to try and rappel down to see if they could find the fallen climber. So I think that moment was valuable for me because there was simply eye contact between me and the guy that I was on the rope with like, We've got to act right now. We don't have time to scream. We don't have time to yell. We all know what we just saw. Let's just get everybody to a safe place. And so that for me definitely was one of those times where it's like, dig deep, Ellen, because you have to step into a leadership role right now when I wasn't expecting to. And I think that, you know, life blindsides us with those situations. We discover that a loved one has been diagnosed with cancer or one of our friends dies or we get, you know, let go from a job that we love or all kinds of things like that happen. And it's, we just have to go within and say, okay, 
I need to pull it together now. Shit just hit the fan. How am I going to respond? And of course, you and I have talked so often about Viktor Frankl's, you know, quote, oh. the stimulus and the response. And it's That's it's cool. having that self-awareness and self-control of, am I going to react or am I going to respond? Take the gap. Take a moment to order some thoughts here. Check in with your your grit. And what are the most rational and least damaging steps that I can take take forward from here? Um, rather than having a, a kind of an immediate reaction, which may not serve anybody very well, uh, including ourselves. So, um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think I go back. That's another favorite quote. I know you and I share that, but I go back to that again and again and again in my life. It's like, how do I want to respond to this? Because there's way too many people flying off the handle these days. That's the, I think that's one of the issues. They have no patience. They don't check their impulses. It's like, just, can you just Just full reaction mode? Absolutely. And And I say that I have a lot of love for that because I, I lived in full reaction mode for a very long time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it takes some like waking up to the fact that like you're in reaction mode constantly. And I think like as a society and just with the way that the, the brain works and, you know, programming that we, we pick up, like it's it's very it's it's much more common for someone to be in reaction than to be in response to a situation in yes. this day and age. And I, I agree. That's where a lot, a lot, a lot of the problems, particularly in America right now, are stemming from. Yeah, and I think and school, school teacher. I mean, school teachers, if they could talk to kids, especially teenagers, if if teenagers could learn the skill that young, oh, you know, man. it would really help. I think you know. hormones would look a lot different. Puberty would be a whole new world. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not, but <laughs> um, for those of you listening who haven't heard this quote, um, it's by Victor Frankel. And the quote is between the stimulus and the response, there lies a pause. And now I'm blanking on the, it's like your, within your power, that, yeah, your within power that lies pause. within that pause. Yes. Um, and I just, truer words, to be honest, have never been spoken for me. And I, it has taken me a while to really um, understand the power of that pause and and cultivate an awareness to be able to use it. It's like, it's one thing to know that the pause is there, but I spent a couple of years knowing the pause was there and just blowing right by it. <laughs> um, that's just like, you know, part of, part of the learning journey for sure. Okay. So we've got a couple more minutes and I want to talk about, well, we, sh- we share um, a, a, a teacher, Julia Clark, and I, I know that you've done some restorative yoga with her and um, you've taught some restorative yoga yoga studios in the past. And one of the most incredible experiences, which I know, I know you guys, I keep saying this over and over again, but like, hopefully you can see now the magic that is Ellen Miller and why most experiences with her are incredible. And one of the, it was one of my actually very first restorative yoga classes that I took and um, you led us on a guided visualization up the side of a mountain, and it was the coolest. Um, talk to me about restorative yoga, using that as a practice, and, and really visualization. So I think visualization is also it's a tool that I've really been leaning into lately as honestly, like invulnerably, a, a form of escapism, <laughs> because I'd much rather be focused on what I want to create in my future than sometimes like be really like 
okay, now we're dealing with this again, and now this is on the news. <laughs> um, so it has been a bit of a form of escapism, but I, I also am really coming to believe that we have such a powerful, strong, and often really unhealthy relationship with our past self, and we need to do better as 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 a society, as as a human, to form a relationship with your future self and really kind of tap into what is it that I want to be creating? Who do I want to be showing up as? And like, what do I need to do to close the gaps on, on where I'm at to where I want to be? And visualization is, is just such a powerful tool for that from everything that's happening in the brain to reducing your stress response to like, there's just, there's so many things. So um, maybe talk to us a little bit about that experience and that, that offering that you can, that you share with people because it's so special. Well, I'm passionate about, restorative yoga because we live in a very go, 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 go society. I've been the go, go, go athlete where I just would train myself into levels of fatigue that were just ridiculous, you know, 30 years ago before we had science (laughs) and decent training programs. It comes down to central nervous system health for me and taking care of the central nervous system. I think that The practice of restorative yoga, the visualization, the meditative part, lying very still, closing your eyes, and just doing nothing balances out our go-go-go lifestyle. I, I, I really feel like, again, I mentioned earlier the amount of information that's entering our brains these days. It's the, the, the volume is like so much greater than our parents' generations. <laughs> I heard a quote about this the other day or read a, read an article that the amount of information that we take in in one day is the equivalent of what um, as someone living in the 1800s took in in their lifetime. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's that, it is exactly that. It's the volume so of information and the speed at which it enters our brains. Mm-hmm. And I do find that it's disruptive to people's nervous systems. And so I felt like restorative yoga was a very accessible way for people to nurture the central nervous system. I want to have a strong and vibrant central nervous system so that when shit hits the fan, I can rise to the occasion and respond appropriately if my central nervous system is just getting bombarded all the time and it's tattered and it's tired and it's not healthy, mm-hmm. I won't be able to function when I really need to. So, um, yeah, I think that these restorative practices and, and you know, Sheena, it's not for me anymore. It's not just restorative yoga. It's that, that connection to nature. You know, it's just going out and being under those big trees and breathe, you know, negative ions, you know. Oh, the negative ions. Yeah. And, and I want to encourage younger people to incorporate those restorative practices into their life, into their self-care, um, as much as all of the hard training and the, the hard stuff and the athletic stuff and the, you know, career-oriented things, you know, it sounds so simple and subtle, but it is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Very powerful practice. You know, are, how familiar are you with grounding? Pretty, pretty familiar because I've, I've practiced grounding. Um, and these days more when I'm 
connected to the earth I have on shoes and you know but yeah oh I think there's a lot to it energetically I think there's a lot to it yeah I just have started kind of scratching the surface I had someone send a video that was just wildly eye-opening to me especially as I just moved into the 24th floor of the building coming from from the mountains and I just like talk about nervous system I was like oh my god what have I done and I've literally been going outside every day and finding some grass to put my feet in because um you might be able to more eloquently define or describe grounding but as I understood it it's really um creating a connection between your feet and the earth um, in order to kind of shift your energetic vibration and like really restore yourself and that there is there is such a um, palpable connection between humans and the earth that we are very quick to not see for ourselves in this day and age. Um, and so that, that importance of being outside of, you know, getting outside and, and high-fiving a tree. I, I, so Ellen, I've started doing intervals by myself. Yay! <laughs> which is, talk about grit. <laughs> That's right. That's true. That's true. Um, I, I have, so, so, moving to the city I have been running on a trail in Wash Park and anytime I ever pass a leaf or a tree within reach it, there's just no question about it I'm high-fiving it and that's Yay. directly from you um high-five trees because why would we not it's, it's a really fun and just like makes you giggle and it, it creates that connection with nature that is just really really important these days it's very important these days. The connection for humans to the natural world cannot be overstated, especially this year. You know where my mental health was during the pandemic? In the wilderness. Mm-hmm. I would have a day off, get up to the wilderness, because when you connect with the natural world in a in an aware, you know, state, you're you're very aware of what's going on there it is it creates awe it creates awe in our brains and that in and of itself is the good medicine that's that's the body's natural pharmacy right there when we experience awe you know it's like nothing no other emotion no other feeling and if you're really out there in nature and you're really looking it's not hard to find that you know, you can go hiking with a five-year-old, and that five-year-old can get you down on the ground. I mean, they can see this whole little microcosm in the dirt and in the grass. It's like, man, there are little plants and there are little bugs and there's little colonies. I mean, it's unreal, you know. You, you, you might not make it very far on the trail, but what yeah. you'll see if you choose to look through their lens is like... It's, unbelievable it's what it's seeing it through a child's eyes and and so you don't have to go very far but you know i think especially now with environmental issues um we really need to step out of our offices and get away from technology and turn off a phone and make designated time to connect with the natural world you know you one of the questions that you talked about asking me was who's inspiring me right now and i tell you yeah. it is Young environmental activists just mm. light me up. I mean, they are very accomplished athletes, but they're using their platform to say, look at what we have, whether it's public lands or wilderness or 
global, maybe their platform is climate change, but to say, hey, we've got to take better care of this for our own survival. Mm-hmm. And I really admire them for having those deep connections to nature and being willing to use their voices to protect and guard these precious places for generations to come. So, Do you know who Patagonia is? Uh-uh. Patagonia is a hiking drag queen that is an oh, environmentalist. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I've, one of my favorite accounts the in the videos. last couple of years. That's okay, I yeah. mean, yeah. just on so many different levels from just equality and really opening up the world of, you know, outdoors. Like, like we were just talking about, it's, it tends to be a very white male dominated yeah. arena. <laughs> and so to, to open up, open up the, uh, the doors to make it more inclusive to, um, really just, just the way Patagonia has used their platform to share a message of diversity and inclusivity and, and take care of mother nature has, I've really, really enjoyed that account. So I'm glad, that, I'm glad that you're hip to that one. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. tell me, tell me about a book that you're reading or that you've recently read and really liked because I always love getting recommendations. I have, I have a few. Okay. Great. Um, poignant book that I just finished recently is called There I Am. The woman's name is Ruthie Lindsay. Okay. And you can follow her on Instagram. It's her memoir mm. of creating a life after severe trauma. Mm. And Sheena, you would enjoy this because it has a lot to do with neuropathways. It has a lot to do with how she, you know, was pretty much on her deathbed. And now I look at how she's living her life and it's, very, very inspiring. I think for people that are really into like self-improvement all the time, this has been, I haven't quite finished this. I think it's, I think it's pretty good. Um, I haven't read it. I feel like, (laughs) I feel like this is like one of the ones that I need to, because everybody's been talking about it. And yeah, it breaks down the mechanics of why we cultivate some habits and why others are harder for us to form. Oh, interesting. Um, and all of the, um, he talks about neuropathways a little bit, and he talks about attitudes around forming habits a lot and understanding why we do certain things, you know, a certain way. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really great. To Shake the Sleeping Self, Jedediah shake, Jenkins. This is about, it's it's a kind of a, a memoir about a traveler. And it, mm-hmm. this is very adventurous about a young man, but lots of pearls of wisdom in here amazing and then my last one is called i love this i'm a reader reader. (laughs) ben moons denali it's it says a man a dog and it looks like it's just about their relationship of a man and a dog when in reality what it's about is ben's uh, diagnosis at 29 years old with colorectal cancer Mm. and he is, Ben's an artist. He's a, he's a photographer and a filmmaker. He's a Patagonia photographer and a beautiful filmmaker. And it's how he navigated his diagnosis. You know, for a young person, that's a heavy duty diagnosis and how dramatically his life had to change. So it's a, it's his memoir, but again, it's so inspiring of how someone is faced with adversity and how they chose to navigate it. And for us single people, dogs, 
represent a very strong bond in our lives. You know, it's a, you know, Denali was the name of his dog and it talks about his relationship, but a very inspiring book. Those have been my favorite books of 2020. I love it. (laughs) I love it so much. I know I can always count on you for good book recommendations. Oh, well, thanks. I've got a lot of memoirs there, but, um, yeah, just I like being inspired by real people, you know. What, what are, Me too. Like, That's what exactly why I started this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I am so wildly grateful for you. The way that I'm choosing to end the show is by asking guests to come up with one thing that they're grateful for. Like I mentioned earlier, it's my gratitude practice before I fall asleep is to think of three. I'm going to let you off the hook. Just one specific thing within the last 24 hours that you're really grateful for. My privilege. Mm. I'm very grateful that I was born in the situation I was because many of my friends in third world countries around the globe, they weren't born with an American passport. They weren't, they weren't born with white skin. Mm-hmm. They were born into circumstances that they don't have the opportunity to choose necessarily their path. Their path mm. is forged for them because they're simply trying to survive the best way they can. So, you know, I don't take my privilege and my opportunities for granted at all. I feel very, very blessed and lucky. And to a degree, that's why I feel like I need to do something to help give back, to help elevate other people simply because I have the ability to. So. That's my, that's probably my big one today. So thank you for sharing. I love that. If people want to keep in touch with you or reach out and say hi, how can they find you? Through you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I'm kind of a rebel. I don't have a website anymore. Um, I, I, I'm an older uh, athlete now. I don't, I'm not a public uh, personality anymore just because I want to focus on other things in my life besides promoting what I've done or being who I used to be. I'm kind of evolving and reinventing myself now. So I've kind of taken myself more out of the public spotlight, unless it's for like a charity event. I still do like work for nonprofits. Um, But it's time to, you know, let some of the other younger athletes shine and, you know, it's time to, I know, I know when it's time to step aside. You know? <laughs> oh, Ellen, I hope you don't ever step aside too far though. You're just, oh. you're too special in that regard. And I'm just, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been such a tremendous force in my life and made such an impact for me. And I, um, I, this, I honestly, if you were going to say yes to this podcast, I probably wasn't going to do it. I'm like, well, if I can't get Ellen, then what's it even for? <laughs> You've done a lot for me too. So, well, I love you very, very much, and thank you so, so much for for being here and for sharing your stories so openly and vulnerably. And yeah, I I look forward to to seeing the reinvention and what comes next. And yeah, just I cherish you so much. So thank you. And that's a wrap. We want to hear from you guys. So tag at make one day happen on Instagram and share your biggest aha moment or one thing you can take from this episode and put into action today. If you're ready to go to the next level, I'm currently taking on new one-on-one coaching and team development clients. 
head over to www.makeonedayhappen.com to learn more and book a free breakthrough session with me. Your word of mouth is wildly appreciated in helping us share these conversations with the world. I get so many of my podcasts I listen to for my friends' recommendations. So if anything resonated with you today, send it to someone else who you think would like it too. I know that every podcast out there asks you to subscribe and leave a review, and that's because it really helps us get these shows out there. So please go hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. Every other week, we'll pick our favorite review and hook that person up with three full-size Lost Range products and a Make One Day Happen goal setting kit. A big thank you to Lost Range. Remember to head over to www.lostrangecbd.com and use code MAKEONEDAYHAPPEN for free prezzies and we'll give 10% of your purchase to Last Prisoner Project. We know you've got a lot of choices when it comes to picking a podcast out there to listen to, so we're so grateful you chose us. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.